Lord, for your blessings and your mercies. Lord, we're grateful to be able to be here tonight to sing uh, your praises. We're thankful to be able to come together and to study and to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Savior. We're grateful to be able to come together and share our needs with one another and then lift them in petitions unto you, knowing, Father, that you hear and that you care and that you'll provide. Lord, we're just thankful to be yours, to be in your house tonight. Lord, I pray you bless our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We're going to be in the book of Joshua again tonight. Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 10 through 18 this evening. When you find your way there, uh, just give me an amen. All right, there's a few, so. All right, there we go. Joshua chapter 1, verse 10. And then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host, and command the people, saying, Prepare your victuals for within three days. Ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. And to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh spake Joshua, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God hath given you rest and hath given you this land. Your wives, your little ones, your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you, on this side of Jordan, but you shall pass over your brethren, before your brethren armed, all the mighty men of valor, and help them, until the Lord have given your brethren rest, as he hath given you. And they also have possessed the land which the Lord your God giveth them. Then you shall return unto the land of your possession, and enjoy it which Moses the Lord's servant gave you on this side Jordan toward the sun rising. And they answered Joshua saying, All that thou commandest us we will do, whithersoever thou sendest us we will go, according as we hearken unto Moses in all things, so we will hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment, and will not hearken unto thy words, and all that thou commandest him, he shall be put to death. Only be strong and of a good courage. Uh, we're continuing this uh, look at supreme principles of leadership as we look at this idea of specific leadership. And within those supreme principles we mentioned last week are the calling, and we talked about great leaders realize and recognize their calling and we spent some time there last week this week we're going to look at the idea of leading uh, great leaders accept responsibility and then over the next couple of weeks education then attitude and then reputation so we would see a clear set of supreme principles that great leaders operate under i realize that 
I tell you what I realized, I realized that I've got the wrong notes in my hands. How about that? Woo, there they are. Goodness gracious. Scared me. <laughs> oh, I am note dependent. I just cannot help myself. So anyway, uh, we are looking this evening at leading. And so when we consider the idea of leading, or the, if you would, the leading of a great leader, we're simply stating that a leader accepts responsibility and great leaders have accepted the responsibility that is placed upon them and so they lead. Uh, you never see a leader that is not leading. Leaders lead. Uh, you, you've heard the old story about that dog won't hunt. Well, a leader leads and they have a very difficult time in fact if they're in a role in life where they're not responsible for leadership. And so when we see that in, in a leader, we recognize that they lead, they accept responsibility, and they, they lead. It's not easy. It's not even the most sensible thing because often people do not desire to be led. Rather, they desire to be left alone so that they continue can continue whatever the status quo is, but a leader is someone who's going to look to make progress, and they're going to do that in the most practical way, and progress often requires change, and change is uncomfortable, but a leader is going to lead anyway, and they're going to do so with their eyes on the horizon looking for the promise. It's very directly, obviously, written concerning what we look at with Joshua. Uh, they, they possessed some land. Uh, and we'll see that in a moment. It was given to Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh. They possessed some land. They're, they were there in a place, in a camp. Uh, they had been there for a moment. They, there, there, was, there was an opportunity to stay put but Joshua had his eyes on the horizon. He had his eyes literally on the promise that God had provided. And so it would require leading. It would require change. It would require movement, even though there would be some discomfort in that. It's, it's also quite possible, and we talked about this a little bit last week, and I want to bring it up because I want you to see it's not a juxtaposition. It's not the antithesis of. It's quite possible for someone to usurp authority and when they usurp authority or they they wrongly take on authority that they do not possess there there's an attempt there to lead when that person has not been so called to lead or so gifted and in those cases you'll see uh, floundering under the load or you'll see you know a flop under pressure or you'll see someone whom nobody is following they're leading, but no one is responding to that leadership. They're leaders without followers or practically no leader at all. John Maxwell is quoted as saying, if you think you're leading but no one is following you, you're simply out for a walk, right? There's, you're not leading. You're just out by yourself. So we, we would see that and we would say, okay, is that the antithesis of 
a leader leading, but it really is not because they're not a leader. What is the antithesis? What is the opposite? What is the juxtaposition of a leader who is leading? Well, it would be a leader who is not leading. It would be somebody with a call, with a gift, with an opportunity, something in front of them to accomplish, who has simply chosen not to. They've chosen not to engage. They've chosen not to lead. They've chosen not to embroil themselves in the fight. I think, in fact, that is probably, not only is it the antithesis of a leader leading, it is probably one of the greatest traps for all leaders, and, and it is that idea that they are called to lead, but they fail to do so for one of a couple of reasons. Maybe for personal expedience. It's just easier not to. Because as I've already stated, often people don't want to be led. They don't want to find the next place or go to the next level. Or they do so for purposeful ease. They, they just have decided, you know what, I've done that, I've accomplished that, uh, we've been here before, we're just going to maintain the status quo. Um, an example, and, and I, I hesitate to even say this because somebody is going to misconstrue that I'm using it for that purpose, but it just occurs to me. Uh, an example of that would be where we are in our church growth. An example of a leader choosing not to lead would be someone who said, we're fine, just exactly where we are and how we are. We have very small remaining debt. Uh, everybody is happy. The church is productive. It is a happy place. It is a spirit-filled place. We have those comments all the time and does my heart so much good to have a missionary say to me, your church is alive, man, and you should be proud of that. And people are happy to be there, and there's a spirit in that place. And so a picture of a leader, a leader not leading would be a guy that says, this is good. We'll just stay right here. We just won't do anything else. Let's, let's don't take on any new debt. Let's, and none of this is up here. I challenge anybody to come read it. I'm just telling you. It's the picture of what I'm talking about. Let's don't do anything that would upset the apple cart because the apple cart is good and balanced. Well, this is the problem with that. The apples in the cart will rot. That's what will happen. And so a leader, whether that be me or some other individual, must say there is more. There is something on the horizon. There is another level. There's a promise that we must contend for. And so it would be irresponsible not to go and look for that next level. So... As leaders, we have to keep our eyes on the promise or on the horizon and then pursue that promise as God would inspire and as God would in, enable, as He would bring about. Even if the change is difficult, even if it requires mass effort, we're going to see that in the passage, even if it involves new methods or new engagements, even if it means giving up something that you currently possess. I'm going to release or relinquish this thing in order to get that thing. Then if we would lead, we have to accept the responsibility that we've been given and lead. Joshua is a guy that did that. Joshua does so not only uh, does he do that, he does so immediately 
if, if we just consider chapter 1, if we were to look at Joshua chapter 1 and consider it as a chronological occurrence from verse 1 to verse 10, and we're just saying, okay, the day started with the Lord speaking to Joshua, saying unto him, Moses, my servant, is dead. You arise and lead this people across the river into the land that I've promised them. And everywhere that your foot touches, I'm going to give it to you. You just be strong and courageous. Have I not told you? If we just consider that to be the start of the day. Chronologically speaking, Joshua immediately after being introduced as, as the leader called of God to replace Moses and to move the children into the promised land and into the possession of it, immediately he begins to lead. There's, there's no celebratory time. There is no uh, laying aside. There's no laying by time. There is no uh, time of mourning. There is no time of, uh, hey, listen, I'm the new guy here, and, and we're just going to watch how you do things for a year. Try not to change anything. No. Immediately, Joshua begins to lead. And by the way, if you look back over the life of Joshua, which, which we will when we look at his education, which occurs primarily by process and through experience, this is typical of Joshua. Every time Moses, or the Lord in this case, says to Joshua, go and do this thing, he goes and does it. Go, go down there and engage in battle. I'm going to be up here praying for you. He goes down there and fights. Go with these 11 other men and go spy the land out. Come back and give me a good word. He come back and gave him a good word. Every time there's a picture there of leadership and a picture there of motivation, of, of being um, uh, quick to do that thing that you're called to do or gifted to do. And we see that in Joshua. He does so without hesitation. In, in this passage that we read, these, these verses uh, 10 through 18, we recognize some characteristics that I think are, are worth noting. The, the first that I, I want you to notice is uh, a great leader, a leader who leads, is somebody who has courage that enables. They have courage that enables. That means that they may swim against the current. They may not always be within popular opinion. Joshua certainly was not within popular opinion when it was the 12 spies. It, it means that they may not always do that thing that everybody else thinks should be done, but they have, they have been gifted a courage that enables them to go and do that thing they're called to do. Uh, notice in verse 10, <clears throat> it says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. Do you see that? If we would just think about this for a moment, there, there's this example that Joshua, we talked about last week, he's been publicly identified as the leader. He's been set aside first by God and then by Moses. He's been prayed over. He's been anointed. That's all in a public setting. And then in a private setting, God has come to him and spoken directly to him. He's reminded him that Moses is gone. He has, he has said to him, you're the guy, you're the one. He's reiterated to him that, that uh, the call is to lead the people into the land to possess it. He has reassured him of the continual presence of the Lord. He has rehearsed for him uh, the, the, 
the importance of the Word of God, that you ought to meditate in it daily. The Word ought to be in your mouth all the time. And that is so important for a Christian leader. And lastly, he's reinforced the earlier command to be strong and courageous. And now in a proactive and a provocative way, Joshua assumes the position of leader. Then Joshua commanded the officers. It's a, it's a picture of a courage that enables a, a person who rises to that moment that they've been set aside for. It, we would say provocative and proactive because proactive, he starts immediately. There's, there's no waiting. And then, and then he commanded and provocative because it provoked the followers to follow. If you just listen to the way that Reuben and Gad and Manasseh respond to him, they said, listen, we're, we're going to see it in a moment, but you do, you do what God's called you to do. We're going to fulfill our end of the deal, and if someone doesn't obey you, they'll die. I mean, there was a buy-in immediately because his leadership was provocative in that it provoked others to follow them. We see this idea of a courage that enables. Look at verse 11. We've already read it, but he, he gives a, a command there. He's commanded the people in the command, or the the. the the captains, the overseers, the officers is the word. And then the command is, pass through the host, that's through all the people. Command them saying, prepare victuals within three days you pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land that God has given you. What we see in a, in a leader is not only courage that enables, but communications that educate. There is this, this way that information is being disseminated. There is this direct understanding that if you look at that, they, there is instruction, there is information, and there is inclusion. He says to them, prepare yourself victuals. That means uh, get ready to travel. Pack it up, wrap it up, sack it up, whatever you got to do, get ready to go. And then he says, in three days, we're going to cross over. It's not ambiguous, not sooner or later, not one day, in three days. Three days from this moment, you better be ready to, to go because we're moving. And then he says to them, uh, look, we're moving, but you are going to possess the land that God has promised you. You're involved in this. This is something for you. So we, we have this picture of Joshua speaking to the offers and this quality communication it has been said, and it is said all the time, uh, communication is key. And it is, but the quality of the communication is vital. If, if it's just a, a, a continual blubbering or blabbering, whatever the word you would like to use there, just this continual flow of information, that communication is not going to do anything other than tire you. You're going to get sick of hearing it. I'm tired of hearing that guy talk. I wish you may feel that way even now. I don't know, but I have a job to do, so bear with me. Uh, it, it, that communication, the quality is what's vital. So if, it, if the communication does not instruct, inform, and include, it's really not communication. At that moment, then, it's more of a speech or a monologue or some other kind of uh, uh, braggadocia, you know, this, this look at me, listen to me. Uh, see who I am. When a true leader is communicating with his people, they're going to glean from the communication things that are vital for themselves. 
So when these guys passed through, everybody knew we're moving. We're moving in three days. I need to be prepared to move. I'm going to get the promise that God has made me. It was all very intelligent information. And so we would see that everyone needs different things from a leader and some more than others, but a great leader gives communications that educate at all levels. So we have this courage that enables. We have these communications that educate. Look at verses 12 through 15. We read it a moment ago. I'm not going to read all of it, but this is where he's speaking to Reuben and Gad and Manasseh, the tribes thereof. If you write in your notes Numbers chapter 32, in Numbers 32, these three tribes, two and a half actually, Reuben and Gad and a half tribe of Manasseh, came to Moses and they said, hey, we're happy with this particular plot of land. It's on the wrong side of Jordan, honestly. Uh, but they liked it. It looked like something they could utilize. It was a place that they felt comfortable. And they said to Moses, we don't really want an inheritance in the promised land We're satisfied with this inheritance. If you go and read in Numbers 32, uh, Moses was not very happy about it. Uh, He felt like it was insulting to God. He felt like uh, they were were, uh, shirking their responsibilities. But but then God uh, basically allowed it to be approved. But this is what was said. They said in verse 16 of chapter 32 in Numbers We're going to build sheepfolds here for our cattle and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will go ready, armed before the children of Israel until we have brought them unto their place. Our little ones will dwell in the fenced cities because of the inhabitants of the land, but we will not return into our houses until the children of Israel have inherited every man his inheritance. And so that's what Joshua is doing here Uh, As you read that in chapter 1, verses 15 and 16, he is is reminding them that they had a a deal, a covenant with Moses and likewise with God. And what what he is doing here from a leadership perspective, he is sharing with them some convictions that edify. These are things that you promised. These are things that were agreed upon. Your, your wife and, and your children and your cattle can stay here, but you've got to go fight. You promised that you would go fight. Do you remember promising that you would go fight? And they said, we do, and we will. We're ready. We're going to be armed. We're going to go. There are convictions that edify. A lot of times in leadership, we're trying to, in our communications, share convictions that edify. And what he's saying to them in this area, he's remembering for them the past. You remember. This is what happened. This is what you said. This was the agreement. He's rehearsing for them the present. We're here now. We're in the moment. We're in the moment that Moses told you was going to come. You've got what you want, but these guys have got to get theirs, and they need your help to do it. And he's restating the promise. You've got to go until they get what, they get, what they've been offered, and then you can come back. There's, it's interesting to me as I look at that because there's no argument in Joshua's conveyance to the two and a half tribes. It was a, a very factual remembrance of the covenant. 
the, everything after that is, is sequential. In other words, Joshua never expected anything less than compliance. I think that's another picture of leadership. You, would, you could ask yourself that question because I'm going to bring this home to you in a moment because everyone is leading someone. What is, what is your expectations? Do you expect people to do the right thing or do you expect people to do the wrong thing? Because I'll guarantee you the way you approach them is different depending on your expectation and one of them is going to garner resistance automatically. This, this is... Joshua preparing and building them with convictions. And, and this is the important aspect of convictions. These convictions are not there to create a spirit of obedience through guilt. Convictions should be shared and they should create a spirit of commonality and cooperation. Any other use or inference of a man's convictions is, is petty uh, and in some cases would be criminal because you're manipulating that person. The, these are the types of convictions that, that people use to edify, to build, to strengthen, to increase. It, for, for us in the relationship that we share, it would not be me or, or Brother Scott or, or Dr. Neems or any of the other uh, men of God here that teach or share, it would not me, be me getting up here trying to convict you or trying to impress upon you even the convictions that I have. It would be uh, me presenting to you a truth in the light of God's Word that the indwelling Holy Spirit in you then would seize upon as a personal conviction and that personal conviction seized upon by the Holy Spirit would then dictate for you the way that you move forward in any given situation. So that conviction has been edifying, it has been motivating, but it has been strengthening because it was not given to you as, as a, a guilt or it's not played on emotions. It is not over sentimentality or a sense of debt because all of those types of convictions eventually fall short. They're only as strong as the emotion behind them. But if the conviction is spirit-led, it's as strong as the spirit that led it. And uh, look, I don't know how much of that you just heard, but that is Part and parcel, what is missing in the church today is spirit-led conviction. That is it. And so it's very important that we comprehend that. I want you to see something here. And this is, this is going to seem maybe a little trivial, but if you'll put it in the right perspective, it's not. I believe it's a principle that we can recognize. In the midst of those convictions to, to edify, in the midst of that, in verse 14, Joshua states the concessional part of the covenant. He says to them in verse 14, your wives and your little ones and your cattle, they can remain in the land which Moses gave you, but you, you've got to go fight. There's a concession in that. I mean, You may not recognize it as a concession, but it was concessional in the original covenant. 
It was a concession that, that was agreed upon by both sides. The concession for the men was, we are going to go fight. The concession to the men was, that's good. Your women and your children and all your possessions can stay here. You can build these cities. They'll be safe here. There's, a, there's this picture of concessions that encourage. We could typically see this picture of, of your wives and your little ones and your cattle. You could very, very easily typify that as passion and pride and possessions. Those things that you're passionate about. Those things that really matter to you. Those, those things that you're very proud of. That would be your wife. Those things you're very proud of. That would be your children. Those things that, that, that God has blessed you with. That would be your possessions. We ought to be uh, willing to concede those things to the Lord. And, and I think this is a picture that he would concede them back. I think we could see that without, without adding a lot of detail or stretching. In, in order to get a, a full appreciation for this quality in Joshua, we have to recognize his position. Now, I'm, I'm fixing to say something here that could be confusing, but I, I don't want it to be. Uh, Joshua is, by definition, a judge in Israel. He is literally... Uh, basically in the position of the second judge Israel ever had, and Moses being the first. Now we read the book of Judges, and, and we have this list of 12 to 14 judges, depending on what you do with Judah and what you do with uh, Abimelech, or, or I always get those names mixed up, but there's two of them that could be easily disqualified. But this is what a judge is. The, the office of judge is the highest office in a theocracy. They are the mediator between God and man. And so Moses was literally a judge. And you can you could look into some of the detailed conversation between he and Jethro and how he was the only judge and then Jethro convinced him or encouraged him to, to put others in place and you recognize pretty quickly that he's operating in that office of judge. And that's what Joshua was doing here. He's, off, he's operating in that office of judge. So here we have the chief leader of an entire nation and he's making concession with this two and a half tribes of people. It's pretty important to see it. Because he literally was in a power position where he could have just, not right in the eyes of God, but he had the authority to say to them, no, no, your kids, and they're all going. Everything's going. If, if, if they all don't go, you won't fight. We're all going together. But Joshua did not do that. The concessions were, I understand that, that's part of it. They're, they're not of a monetary nature. They're not a bribe. They're concessions that, that are encouraging. It's, it's, it's not about personality or self-image of the men. It's about family and provisions for them. It's an important picture. There's a picture there in leadership of recognizing there are areas to concede. Now we could look at that from a, from a business perspective, but man, I've been so long out of business, I don't even think about business anymore. Right? I think about ministry. If I went back into business today, I'd probably go bankrupt because I have a ministry mindset. There are concessions. And there are things that, that sometimes we would concede. Concessions may take on different appearances depending on the role of leadership that you're in, but they're always there. For example, if, if you say, just imagine for a moment that you were in a retail environment 
in an environment that worked seven days a week. The concession would be a rotating schedule so that that employee was not working seven days a week because that's not going to last long, especially not in today's culture, right? So the concession would be we're going to have we're going to have more than enough employees and we're going to rotate a schedule so everybody gets a day or two off a week. That's a concession. That's a picture of a concession. If, if you were looking at a sports franchise, a sports team, a concession might be letting go of a player that is a fan favorite in order to pick a player that can make a greater difference. Uh, I could use somebody's name right here, but all the Braves fans will go crazy. Right? And so... You make a move because it's financially uh, it's better for the team and, and right, wrong, or indifferent. That's the idea. That's the concession. A concession in a church environment might be, it might take the form of an expectation wherein we may concede a day of attendance in order to get a greater attendance on another day. Because I want to say something. I hope you hear me right here. There is no divinely defined schedule of church operation. There's not a New Testament verse that you can turn to in the Bible that's going to tell you, oh yes, you meet on Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. It's not in there. Those things are all cultural. So we do what we do culturally because it works culturally. And so when you see a church that, for example, goes away from a midweek meeting, culturally that may make sense for them, especially if it, if it accentuates the Sunday meetings. There's a concession. You're comprehending that. And so, so a great leader communicates well. His convictions strengthen his follows, he, or followers. He understands his people enough to make concessions that will be an encouragement. But ultimately, leaders are defined by their followers. And that's what we see at the end of this passage in verses 16 through 18. This response from Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, saying that all that thou commandest we will do. Whithersoever thou sendest, we will go. According as we've hearkened unto Moses in all things, so will we hearken unto thee. Only the Lord thy God be with thee as he was with Moses. Whosoever he be that doth rebel against thy commandment will not and will not hearken unto thy words and all that thou commandest him he shall be put to death, only be strong and in, of good courage. And so we see these followers now. The focus here is not on Joshua. The focus is now on Reuben and Gad and Manasseh. And what do they say? They say, we're with you 100%. There, there's a respect there for his position. There is a regard for his prosperity. There is a ready for his protection. And when you see great leaders, great leaders have colleagues that will enlist. People that will say, I see the same vision. I recognize what you see. I want to accomplish what you want to accomplish. In the Christian aspect, I see that God has called you to this ministry. I want to help you fulfill this ministry. I will enlist with you. That's a picture of what we're seeing here. And they are enlisted in the fight. And oftentimes, it seems as if people want to lead without first developing a following. And you can't develop a lasting following with just words. It's, it's actions and consistency. And there's a respect that comes and a regard that comes and a willingness that comes. 
these are great followers, great colleagues, and they help make Joshua a great leader. So we look back over these verses and we see five characteristics. We see courage that enables, communications that educate, convictions that edify, concessions that encourage, and colleagues that will enlist. And then you would say, so what's the application? What is the application for me? How does that help me in my Christian walk? What comfort can I receive tonight? This midweek service, what comfort can I get? What action should I take based on this passage? And uh, I can't make that application for you. You have to make it for yourselves. But I can tell you this. I said it already once. You're leading somebody. Everyone is leading someone at some level or another. Some of us lead larger groups than others. But there is leadership going on. And these characteristics, especially the first three, they're in your control. You can determine how clearly you communicate, how rightly you convey convictions, how you encourage, what concessions you're willing to make in your relationships so that everybody is served. You control that. So that would be one encouragement. I would also remind you that we're all followers of some type. Every one of us is following somebody. And so we should be colleagues that are willing to enlist. If we can't help, we certainly don't want to harm or hinder. We should, we should be able to uh, get involved with whoever we're following. They deserve our prayers, our support, our respect for their position. And at the same time, we should be praying for their prosperity and their protection, that God would continue to bless them. I think about... Matt Dibler over at Calvary Baptist, and he served so faithfully behind Dr. Ronnie Heelan. And Brother Matt is 100% qualified to be a senior pastor, and his qualifications never waned. And he served under Dr. Heelan. And I believe if Dr. Heelan were alive, he would still be serving under him. He was willing to follow, even though he was capable of leading. It's a, it's a clear picture. I, I'll close on this lighter note. One of my favorite movies, and you all know I'm a movie buff, and one of my favorite movies is Tombstone. And uh, in the movie Tombstone, there's a cleric character that everybody hates. His name is Ike Clanton. If you've seen the movie, you know who Ike is. And all throughout the movie, Ike is at the head of trouble but he always begs out before the fighting starts. He's never there. Even as the movie ends, if you'll remember, he's dropping his sash and riding away. We don't even get to see him get his, get his deserves, right? He, we just read about it. But in that scene at the OK Corral, you'll remember where he come clamoring around Wyatt's feet. And Wyatt said to him, Ike, get to fighting or get out of the way. That's kind of a picture of the application version of this sermon. Either lead or follow. Because you're both 
lead or follow. My daddy used to always say, or get out of the way. And uh, that's where I would take application tonight. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for these truths. I pray, God, you would uh, help us to meditate on them, see how they apply in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.